Aloha from the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual right, I have Doug Ameth. Aloha to you, Kimberly Trung. <laughs> Thank you. And a lovely aloha to uh, Paul Duglin, who I have on my virtual right. Did I mix that up? Did I put Yeah, I'm on, on your right. right? Oops, I'm on your right. right. You're both on my virtual right today. That's fine. <laughs> no one will actually know. No one will actually know. I did mean to say... Because you guys didn't, so I thought I could get away with it this week because I so wanted to last week. Howdy. Oh, howdy, y'all. I said howdy. Oh, don't start, Doug. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that. I was trying to make it sound less. Well, it's a real pleasure fighting cybercrime with y'all this week. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you, Doug. I'm proud of your howdy. Anyway, listeners, we are skipping Rex this week because we have a user or should I say a listener question that came in. So we're going to use some time towards the end to answer that question. Yeah, saying that naked security has users makes us sound I, rather yeah, tedious. I know, I know. I was like, <laughs> user, not user, listener, um, loyal yeah. listener. Yes. And so before we get into the headlines, so I'll quickly tease the oh no of the week. And all I'm going to say is iron, man. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, I've got the song in my head now. <laughs> I've got the song coming. Oh, yeah, go on, Doug. You know you want to. <laughs> Doug, what do we have going on in the news? Okay, we're going to talk about a Latvian woman who's been charged with writing malware for the TrickBot group. She's 55 years young. Yes, Keeping with the 55 this. theme, we're going to talk about how to hack into 5,500 accounts just using credential stuffing. Nicely done, Doug. Thank you. Thank you very much. Segway and a I half. just said to myself, she's 55, the next story's 5,500. I'm just <laughs> going to say the two things together, and then maybe that'll just be like a theme. If you can get 55 million into the listener's question, yep. I'll be impressed. We have spent 55 million seconds discussing this listener question, and it will be answered as the third segment in our show. But first, fun fact, when the designer of the Pringles can died, a portion of his ashes were sealed inside a, you guessed it, Pringles can. <laughs> Pringles original, if I have it correct. Well, that's a that's an extra tidbit of info I did not have. I, I didn't have that. And next time I pop, and of course won't stop, because once you pop, you can't stop. Uh, I will forever think of the, I will forever think of the founder um, being sealed in some Pringles can somewhere. Make sure there's chips in that can, though. Apparently it was at his own request He thought it would be a cool idea So it's not like someone was being weird about it The great thing about Pringles That I didn't know Is that the way they look and and the can they come in Was actually solving an engineering problem And once he'd done that he, He didn't worry about the taste Someone else solved the issue of Making them taste the way they were supposed to But what he wanted is He wanted to get that funky Double curved shape which, as far as I know, is the same shape you get uh, if you have a poorly maintained bicycle wheel <laughs> yeah. and you go over a bump that's too big. And you've seen bicycle wheels that are a weird shape. People say, oh, look, that, that wheel's tackoed or pringled. And it's because the forces on the wheel from some spokes tight, some spokes loose, loose cause the same shape to form as the shape of Pringles. And that was his breakthrough, that they could stack perfectly and therefore could fit them nicely into a can, but they didn't just come out flat. 
like cookies. <laughs> uh, lots of fun facts here. Uh, our first story, Doug. Yeah, I'm here. I'm just thinking of um, <laughs> the last hotel I was in that had a mini bar. They were <laughs> just coming back to my room and eating three cans of Pringles. Not my proudest moment. <laughs> Anywho, speaking of unproud moments, let's talk about this Latvian woman who's been charged with writing malware for the TrickBot group. And she's 55 years old. She goes by the moniker of Max. And she is part of a 61 double-spaced page DOJ indictment. Paul, please elaborate. Her, her real name is Alavita. Obviously, she's a suspect. She's been arrested. She hasn't been convicted yet. So she does enjoy the presumption of innocence. But the indictment, as you say, Doug, 61 pages long. It is written like a legal indictment. So it has to you know, prove that there's a case to answer. So it sets out, this is the conspiracy. These are the conspirators. This is the evidence we've got and all of that. So it doesn't quite read like a, a story, but it is a fascinating thing to look at. And I urge you to do so because it kind of explains how the the cops have been tracking this group, this gang, TrickBot gang, over a long period of time to get the evidence they need. And it reads like Silicon Valley startup story, except that it was all about criminality all along. There are six other people indicted, but their names have been redacted. And there are 10 other people who are just listed as CC8 to CC17. We don't know. Presumably they don't know their names yet, which CC stands for co-conspirator. So this is quite a sizable group of cyber criminals. And there are discussions between them about, hey, we, we need to change our job ads so that they don't sound like they're criminal otherwise we'll get banned and oh we we really need to employ this person they've got all the skills we need they pass the test they have a, a test like a you know coding test but we mustn't let them get wind of it or they'll they might go and work for a competitor so it just reads like regular business except the end result is very much not like real business at all that was one of the questions i had was is it possible that there are there's malware out there there's all these types of attacks out there where someone has contributed work and code to these things and actually not known that they had been contributing code to like say ransomware like is it possible to hire someone to program something for you and be like you're just doing this part of it don't worry about what it actually does i imagine that that is a defense that a suspect could invite their attorney to bring in a court of law and then it would be up to the jury to decide whether they bought it or not. I think in this case, the allegations against Max are that she wrote basically a back-end system for running their ransomware system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it'd be quite yeah. hard to say, well, I didn't think ransomware was bad. I thought extortion was quite normal. So I think that would be, that would be <laughs> a pretty brave gamble to play in court. But in this case, it was clearly they wanted their job ads to look legit. They also discussed people who were asking too many questions about whether it was legit or not. They sort of get rid of them. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you know, it was it was pretty clear that they were after people who knew what they were doing and knew why they were doing it. Can we just remind people, or if they have, if they're not aware, um, that Trickbot it started as kind of a theft of banking credentials and other credentials and then kind of evolved into this this ecosystem of 
all these different sort of spoken hub and spoke type attacks, right? Yes, the thing with TrickBot, most people will think of it, as you said, what you call a banking trojan. And a banking trojan, very briefly put, is malware that deliberately snoops on your computer while you're busy with financial transactions to steal your personal information and prey on your bank account. But as the name suggests, TrickBot, it's always had this bot or zombie, you know, remote control robot component that means that it regularly calls home and downloads instructions that describe what the crooks want to do next. So in amongst all of this, it's always had this ability to adapt itself. And as the DOJ's indictment makes clear, the aim of this group was infect computers with the TrickBot malware in the first place, primarily going for logging credentials. While you're about it, get whatever you can. That includes credit cards, emails, passwords, DOB, SSN, home address, all of that sort of stuff. Also spread automatically to other computers on the same network, which increases the yield and reach. So you know, have a viral or a worm component. A separate part of the team which then used those stolen credentials to go after bank accounts. And then while you're about it, because you have this network of zombie computers that can be reprogrammed at will, let's do a final stage of ransomware. Why don't we? And it seems that that's where Max came in. So this has been going on since about the end of 2015, when a previous ransomware gang called Dyer, D-Y-R-E, sort of imploded. Apparently they got investigated, and a few of them managed to crawl out of the wreckage and rebuild the, the TrickBot group. So that started at the end of 2015. Max came in, I think, around the end of 2018. And it seems pretty clear that their idea was, hey, let's let's start streamlining this ransomware thing that happens at the end of it all. So the allegations against Max is that she, I'm quoting here from the DOJ, so, quote, provided code to the TrickBot group to operate and deploy the TrickBot ransomware module, unquote. And the other thing that they claim that she was programming was, quote, to provide code for a web panel used to access victim data stored in a database, unquote. And in particular, it seems the idea was that other people in the group could use that control panel to make sure that they were using the botnet sensibly so that you didn't get two people trying to do different crimes at the same time with the same computers. Um, so sort of like management tools, if you like. Okay, and we have some advice for, for up-and-coming programmers. Yes, watch out for freelance coding jobs that you're not 100% sure about. You know, if it doesn't smell right, it probably isn't right. And as tempting as it might seem to get sucked into a world like that, when you see the millions of dollars that are being talked about in the indictment, they have 11, uh, I think what they call cooperating witnesses is the official name in US justice system. So these are witnesses in the US who have come forward to say, yes, this happened to us uh, just from those 11 people, the attempted financial downloads, if you like, the, the unauthorized transfers add up to $6.2 million. So if dollar signs start shining in your eyes and sounding in your ears, be careful. You could really be going where angels fear to tread. Exactly the same goes, perhaps more so, for the people around the edge of this who are all alluded to in the injunction, the so-called money mules, 
who are defined in the injunction. They define what they mean by money mules. It's basically people who cash out ill-gotten gains for others. If you've lost your job and you need to work from home, it must be tempting when you get at what seems like a job offer from somebody and they're just looking for you to process accounts. Well, that's one thing. But as soon as it comes to accepting payments and then disbursing money from your account, then you know it's going to end in tears. Because if it turns out to be criminal, and why would a legitimate company need someone just to do money transfers for them in a foreign country? And why mm-hmm. would they need you to take the money out in cash if the cops come looking? Because obviously the fingers will point at you because your account's being used. Then A, you are not going to get the money back. You accepted it. You took it out of your account. You paid it out in cash. So you're left without the money and you might very well be looking at going to prison. So be very, very careful before you send your CV off, your resume off to a company you're not sure about as well. Okay, and we have a final piece of advice. It's a defense in depth tip, Doug, as usual, and that is whether at home or at work, consider, and I'm using the term antivirus loosely in in its sort of old school term, consider an antivirus that isn't just about malware blocking. It also includes network filtering and exploit prevention. Because if you look at this gang like the TrickBot group, although they're known for the TrickBot malware, there's a lot more to it than that. It's also about being able to exfiltrate data, having malware that calls home so it can switch itself out for ransomware later on, poking stuff into other processes so it can spy on your browser to get hold of work out when you're busy logging into the bank and so forth. So it's not just about stopping the malware getting in in the first place and running. It's about heading off all the other aspects of an attack. It just so happens that this group kind of does all of the above. But there are other groups who specialize in, you know, one, some or several of those. So having a threat prevention that has multiple ways to block cyber threats means that you don't have all your eggs in one protective basket. I know I'm not supposed to probably say this. Which means you're going to. (laughs) (laughs) But can I just say that I loved reading about a woman uh look i wish she would have used her skill set for better uh, objectives but i i love that it was a woman and i love that it was a woman in her 50s okay this is going to be the most controversial thing i have said and i have said it but i'm not gonna lie my eyes perked up when i read the headline latvian woman charged with writing malware for the trickbot group I don't know. It feels like a very prestigious role in the cyber criminal world uh, for a woman in her 50s. Just going to say that. Done. Yeah. It is fascinating. It's, like, it's unfortunate that it's the, unfortunate. That the crooks <laughs> seem to have uh, overcome their prejudices. When they, yeah. think, when they think they've found the right person who's willing to do all the wrong things. Okay, well said. That is Latvian woman charged with writing malware for the TrickBot group on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Alrighty, our next story is how to hack into 5,500 accounts just using credential stuffing. Guys, if you listen to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard us preach about this before, and I hate to preach to the choir yet again, but if you haven't heard us say this already, 
First of all, don't use weak passwords. And on top of that, even if you are using strong passwords, don't reuse passwords Correct. ever. Password reuse is why cyber criminals use a trick called credential stuffing to try to turn a hack that worked on one account into a hack that will work on another. After all, if they know that one of your accounts was protected by insert strong password, it costs almost nothing in time or effort to see if any of your other accounts use the same password or one that's obviously related to that password. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, this method is exactly how alleged cybercriminal Charles Onus, who was arrested earlier this year in San Francisco, is said to have made off with a tidy, oh, $800,000 in just a few months. The suspect, claims the DOJ, simply tried the already known passwords of thousands of users against their accounts on an online payroll service in New York. Hmm. Ooh, boy. Duck, what's the scoop here? Kimberly, I think this is just the reminder that we have to have. Everyone knows that they're not supposed to reuse passwords, but I think mm -hmm. there's still, maybe not a majority, but probably a significant minority of people who consider themselves well-informed in cybersecurity terms, who at one extreme, they know that the password, password one, is simply not good enough anywhere. So they're never going to use it. They've learned that lesson. And they know that, you know, a password like 99 password comma 45 is kind of better, but probably not as good as they should do. But provided they use that password on, on one site and then a different one on another site and so on, they'll probably be all right. Because somebody wants to break into all their accounts would have to guess 10 different passwords. But then they kind of think, well, you know what? If I choose a genuinely super strong password, What's the harm in using that on multiple accounts? Because no one's ever going to guess it. And of course, the problem is that your password doesn't just get compromised because somebody figures out what it was or because you used your dog's name. It could be something like a service on which you used the strong password had a security breach. They weren't storing the password securely and your super strong password got breached just as it was in plain text. The crooks don't have to guess, they know what it is. Another problem is if you get keylogging malware, something like that, or the trickbot malware that we've just been talking about on your computer that's actually watching for you putting in a password. Now, the trickbot guys, obviously, they're watching for your password that they know is associated with a particular financial institution. So they get that password in all its complexity. Well, do you think they're not going to try it on 20 other sites if they can? Because it takes them half a minute and maybe, as you say, they get two, three, six for the price of one. And of course, the other problem is you could be connecting to a server that does store your passwords securely in some kind of salted and hashed form. But maybe they have malware on the server that's active while they're processing your password, what's called RAM scraping or memory scraping malware, that actually watching for stuff that only ever lives in memory. So even though that company does the right thing, never stores your password permanently, maybe the crooks get a glimpse at it. And the point is that if you use the same password, no matter how complex it is, on lots of different sites, the crooks don't have to hack lots of different sites to get the password for lots of different sites. They only have to crack one. And so one down, 
all down. And that's the thing that this uh, alleged criminal was taking advantage of. So it's a very low-tech crime. He's bought a list of, acquired a list of passwords from somewhere, and he's just sitting down and figuring out where's a good place to use these. Instead of going for your Facebook account, your Twitter account, or your Instagram account, let me focus on payroll companies. He knows what the password is. He knows that there's an email address associated with it. Let's say it's your business email address. That's going to say where you work. And if the crook knows, ah, that company, they use this particular right. payroll company. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if you haven't set up your payroll account properly, he can log in not as the payroll company, not as the employer, but as the individual and go in and say, change profile. You need to reconfirm your password. Pastes it in. Doesn't Remember, it's complicated, but he knows what it is. And then what he would do is he would, he would say, oh, I've changed my bank account. And he'd go in and say, please pay a different bank account this month. And he was using a, an account that was connected to a debit card that he could suck the money out of. And like you said, 800,000 cool American dollars in just a few months. And it seems to have been, as far as I can tell from the indictment, was just this chap. This seems like it takes very little skill. I need to buy a bunch of passwords. I need to guess where this person works. And I need to enter them in these payment systems. Like, I don't need to, any real technical skill to do this, right? Yes, it's what you might call a human-led attack, which is the same terminology we use for how top-end ransomware crooks do it. What they do is figure, let's be patient, and let's not just write a program that pretends to be human, let's go in as users. So it's what you might call a classic example of a sort of living-off-the-land attack. I know you have this in your tips, but, you know, the the second thing that comes to mind reading this story is where was the 2FA? And where was the password manager? Because a password yeah. manager would help you with this, right? Because it won't let you choose the same password twice. As far as I can tell, no one had breached the payroll company. That was secure. It was some mm-hmm. other way that the passwords had been disclosed. He was just figuring, mm-hmm. I've got a password. I know it's connected with XYZ user and... I'm guessing that this user will have an account on this payroll system. And how hard is it to find out? Well, I'll just try. 2FA and a password manager would have helped enormously here. Obviously, 2FA doesn't solve the whole problem. We spoke on a recent podcast about people being tricked out of their 2FA codes by WhatsApp Mm. messages. So, you know, you can still fall victim to phishing of your 2FA number. But it does mean that crooks like this who just have a list of username and password, they can't just go in and start using the passwords right away. At the very minimum, like table stakes should be when you go to sign into a service that you belong to from a new phone or a new computer. It's like, we notice you're signing in from a new browser. Just this once, we're going to send you this email code like just to verify that it's you. That's what a lot of services do. My own opinion is... If you can manage to do it, turn all of that stuff off. When I have an account with 2FA set up, I expect to be asked for my username, my password, and the login code every time I log in. And Mm -hmm. when I've finished, I don't go, oh, I'll leave everything set up in my browser so it doesn't realize I've been away. I make sure that when I exit my browser, it throws away things like uh, login cookies. So I have to start over. It is a little bit more hassle. It probably costs me two minutes a day 
but it it does mean that when I go to bed at night, I know I'm unhooked from all these accounts that I've got. It definitely makes me a little bit more secure, and it makes me feel that little bit more secure as well, because it means if someone runs off with my laptop, even if I left it turned on, good luck to them. They'd have to log in again. Okay, last tip we have in the article: report payment anomalies. Wow, that that's a really good point. I personally don't check in on my on my pay stubs, and I probably should now that I pay pay stubs are different, right? If your pay doesn't arrive, you'll notice because like you won't be able to buy anything. Kim and I make so much money that we we wouldn't notice. <laughs> we oh, don't have paid one. one. <laughs> Kimberly, I think the the thing that people forget is it's actually worth looking out for things that you expected to work that didn't and just even calling those in. Like I went for a coffee, I swiped my card, it said payment accepted, and then when I went back and looked through transactions of the day, it wasn't there. It can be worth reporting that kind of stuff. And certainly if you receive money that you didn't expect, and we spoke about receiving money from unknown sources in the previous section being a money mule don't do that Mm. but Mm -hmm. you know at the same time if you get if you get like some small amount of credit or you get some transaction on your account that just doesn't belong well if it doesn't belong then it shouldn't be there and you may as well report it because you'll probably be helping yourself and you will definitely be helping the next guy because it could be a flaw in the system in which case the banker better know about it pretty quickly but more likely it's somebody trying it on who hasn't quite got everything right and you know the early warning is the best warning so i it sounds like he was skimming from people's paychecks and if you depending on of course how much you get paid you may not notice like $50 $100 here a thousand well maybe not i mean unless you're like again you're like Doug and me and we're very rich apparently mm-hmm. yeah. we won't <laughs> won't miss a thousand dollars i'm totally kidding but here in the u.s um and i'm sure a lot of corporations around the world offer this but you can you can designate a percentage of your check to go into this account versus that account versus that account and i imagine if that's what he was doing if he was like oh just take 10 percent from this from this person you know 5500 accounts adds up pretty quickly it's kind of like the office office space movie. Well, right? he had fifty five hundred accounts to play with, right? Maybe that's how he got caught. Maybe it was I the fact so. that you know that eventually the fingers pointed back to him. As with Max in the uh, in the malware programming case, he does enjoy the presumption of innocence under U.S. law. But the point is, somebody did this, and I think the big <laughs> part of the story is just by buying up a somehow acquiring a list of existing passwords even super complicated well-chosen ones this one chap was able to get into 5500 different accounts in one system so what that means is there's a lot of password reuse going on 
And it would be so easy to avoid that if you used a password manager. Yeah, again, preaching to the choir many times. If you want to check out that article, you can head on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. How to hack into 5,500 accounts just using credential stuffing. All right, kids, it's time to stretch our legs. I'm pulling the Sophos bus over to the side of the road. And... Yay! <laughs> Breaking news. Technology etymology is dead. Long live technology etymology. It turns out there's only so many tech terms and company names you can analyze, but but we have a new segment called This Week in Tech History. Yes. On June 10th, 2003, a rover named Spirit launched, kicking off NASA's Mars exploration efforts. True to its name, Spirit's mission was to last about 92 days, but the little rover that could operated for more than five years before Aww. getting stuck in some soft sand at an angle that prevented its batteries from recharging. Probably Aww. could have kept going. Yeah. So thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Spirit. And its twin sister or brother, Opportunity, which launched about a month later. Mm. Good times had by all. And apparently, Doug, I don't know whether someone was pulling my leg when they told me this, but I have it on semi-good faith. Monday of this week, you're not going to believe this, was <laughs> VCR day. <laughs> oh, well, There's that's a day for everything. Far more important than exploring Mars. What was I talking about? I have a medium-sized box of VCR tapes from my parents' house of all of the home movies of my brother and I when we were younger, and I just look at it. It's in my garage. They're probably all damaged from the weather, and I just look at it and say, I guess we'll never enjoy those memories. One-way encryption. Can't read it yep. back. Well, friends, as we told you at the top of the episode, we have a listener question, and this comes via Reddit, via Ocelot, who wrote me, here's a question. Going through previous episodes, currently season three, episode seven, and it's mentioned that Capcom had a, quote, bad look for a bad breach, but did well not paying the ransom. I'm kind of wondering... Since it's an accepted fact that you can't really stop hackers anymore, at what point is a breach not necessarily a, quote, bad look, and the perception is gauged more about how they handled it? Is it a degree of negligence? Or is it just never acceptable to have a breach, and it doesn't matter how it's handled? Mm. Thoughts? Mm. Pobody's nerfed. Pobody's nerfed. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's quite... A clear-cut issue, is it? I right. do think you need to remember that although we praised Capcom for not paying the money and coming out and saying what went on, a data breach, whether it's a ransomware attack or data that got stolen, it's never going to be a good look, is it? Mm -hmm. My own opinion is what you do next really matters just as much as having had the breach in the first place. That's my opinion. It's possible to say exactly the wrong thing and behave in exactly the wrong sort of way. And then you shouldn't be surprised if people go, you know what, the breach was a bad enough look, but the way you responded has put me off completely. I'm taking my business somewhere else. Yeah, you know, as someone who's worked on the front lines in terms of like social media, I think it truly matters how you handle the situation. I have seen online users go from extremely angry and deservedly so to 
thankful and grateful um, just the just based off of how a company responds yeah. and how a company handles the situation and shows care for the customer um, and for the situation. So I've witnessed that firsthand. I've seen it not only within the cybersecurity industry, but outside of the industry. So I, you know, there's so much to be said about how a company handles breaches. I'm at a point now where I think personally, as a customer, I could forgive a data breach, but I certainly will not forgive poor handling of it. That's where I'm at now as a as a user. <laughs> you know, I think there is that problem saying, well, this company had a problem and they actually did something about it and they fixed it and they were able to explain in believable terms why what they did in response is actually very likely to prevent this happening again, I would be inclined to keep my business with them because it yeah. shows that they've act, they've had a bad experience, but they've genuinely learned from it and they haven't tried to sweep anything under the carpet. So I'm with you. I, I get yeah. that question a lot from friends and family. Some company will get hacked and they'll be like, well, I shouldn't I shouldn't use their product, right? And if, if they've handled it properly, I can say back to them, that company is the mo now the most secure company in its space because True. they learned from this breach. And that is actually the best place to take your business right now because they are locked up tighter than a drum. Duck, do you have any advice or tips that you could give to Ocelot on this? Yes, I think if you are unfortunate enough to suffer a breach or if you are trying to judge a company that has had a breach of your data by how they respond, I think you're looking you're looking to do three things. One is do the right thing. Do not try to sweep it under the carpet because the truth will out eventually. Number two, mm -hmm. if you don't know, just say so. Nobody mm -hmm. expects you to have answers immediately and don't try and make them up or make people feel comfortable where you simply don't have the information to do that. And lastly, and I know this sounds like I'm saying that you should assume you're going to fail. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you should prepare in case you do. Practice makes perfect. A company that has planned for how it would respond if it has a data breach will always do a better job of keeping its customers informed and probably of fixing the problem against this happening again than a company that tries to make it up while it's going along. Ocelot, I hope we answered your question. And listeners, if you have a question that you want to submit, of course, you can reach out to us via all the usual suspects, a comment on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. You can email us tips at sophos.com. You can reach out to me on Reddit. My username is oh no, it's Kim. O-H no, it's Kim. And uh, you can DM us as well on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Folks, we have reached the end of our episode, so you know what that means. It is time for the oh no of the week. Uh, Doug, I need you to add a sound effect for me when, when, I, oh, when I read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. This actually came via Reddit. Someone hit me up at oh no, it's Kim. And so this comes from a loyal listener as well. VA Onescholl writes, more than a few years ago, I was a United States Marine Corps. At a remote post, my CO used a very secure safe to store floppies. For several mornings in a row, he called me front and center to his desk and demanded to know why his data was corrupted. It was an iron safe. <sighs> oh no! 
the end. Magnets. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Iron Man. don't know about that, right? <laughs> Remember when you used to have to be really careful with things like hotel keys when they went from mm -hmm. being proper keys yeah. but they weren't yet the nfc you know the the wave near the lock cards but you had to swipe uh -huh. them and if you put them near your mobile phone and yeah. then came home at can't get in two o'clock in the morning yep. can't get in your room they'd say now don't put this card in your wallet that's the perfect size to be put in your wallet <laughs> it, don't on, put man. it in the section in your wallet that says four cards <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh magnetism. I, th I believe that what you he needed was a safe made of, I, I'm not sure how you say it, I think it's austenitic steel, oh. which is a special crystalline structure in steel which makes it non-ferromagnetic. Mm, that's what oh. I was going to say, F ferret magnetics. That's what <laughs> I was going to say oscillations safe. Floppies were, <laughs> they were great until they failed. They were then, great until they weren't. <laughs> yeah, they, they, because they, I know people who have floppies. They say, oh, this is all an exaggeration. I've waved magnets near mine and nothing bad has ever happened. And, you know, and then they, mm. they put them in the, the wrong part of their rucksack one day near the tiniest magnet you've ever seen. Wiped the wrong sector, game over. Ooh. Well, folks. If you've enjoyed that Ono oh and you have an Ono, oh again, you can hit me up on Reddit. Like I said, O-H-N-O, it's Kim. That's my username. Also, again, comment on Naked Security, tips at sophos.com, or you can DM us on any of the social platforms. We will get back to you. And of course, until next time, stay, stay secure. secure. Just coming back to my room and eating three cans of Pringles. Not my proudest moment.